Kevin Geisler turn to Luke chapter 4. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for everything you've done for us. Pray that you would uh, bless this time that we have together today. Pray that you would speak through me. Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we'll read the first few verses, and then we'll get right into it. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, being being 40 days tempted of the devil, that in those days he did not eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. Then the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command the stone that it be made bread. And Jesus said unto him, It is written, The man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil talking, and the devil taking him up into the high mountain showed him into all the kingdoms of the world and in, the, and, and in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give unto thee and the glory of them, for that it is delivered unto me, and whatsoever I will give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him alone shalt thou serve. And he brought him into Jerusalem, and he set him in a, on a pinnacle of the temple, and he said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from thence. For it is written, He shall give angel charge over thee, and to keep thee, and their hands shall bear thee up, lest I at any time dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the and when the devil had ended all temptation, he departed from he departed from him for a season. So here's the setting. Remember, uh, the last few weeks we talked about uh, Jesus being baptized. Um, we see Jesus going to be baptized. John the Baptist sees him, and what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world, right? So John immediately recognizes who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do, right? And as he's being baptized, a voice from heaven comes and it says, um, um, You are my son, in whom I am well pleased, Right? Um, so Jesus gets baptized, and he identifies with sinners, and he fulfills every type of righteousness that we can um, that God is asking for us, right? So all of this marks the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Up until this point, Jesus had been a faithful son and a diligent worker. Um, he must now, he must leave all of that behind to follow the path that God has laid out for him. Now, I want, I want to tell you something today, that there is a path that God has for each and every one of us, right? Um, there's, a, there's a plan that God has for each and every one of us, right? 
God has called each and every one of us to do something. What did God call Jesus to do? To die on the cross. So in the temptation in the wilderness, what we see is what what we see is Jesus being tempted by Satan not to follow the Father's plan. So what did Satan want to keep Jesus from doing? From going to the cross. By the way, um, all of us face a similar temptation, don't we? Satan wants to, more than anything, keep us from going to Jesus. Right? Um, He wants to, more than anything, keep us away from God. Doesn't he? Um, Therefore, we have to resist that temptation and stay on the path. Now, the story we are studying today takes place right after the baptism. Now, at this point in life, we can make two points about the life of Jesus. Number one, he was approved by the Father. What does the voice say from heaven? You are my son in whom I am well pleased, right? Number two, he was led by the Spirit. Verse 1 of chapter 4, Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Judea, and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. The point being is that Jesus was sensitive to the Father's leading through the Spirit. Again, uh, being sinless is more than about not doing bad things. Right? Um, For instance, um, if you want to keep from doing bad things, all you have to do is just lock yourself in the house. And then, I guess technically you can be sinless, right? But being sinless is about more than not doing bad things. Being sinless is about doing all the things that God has commanded you to do. Up until this point in time, Jesus has never done any bad thing. Also, Jesus has always done the will of the Father. Now, God leads Jesus into the wilderness. This is verse 1 or 2. Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit unto the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. In those days, he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. So what we see here in the temptation of Christ, we see a fight between two heavyweight fighters, right? In one corner, we see Satan, right, who has never been defeated up until this point in human history. I want you to think about all of the great men of the Old Testament defeated by Satan, right? Abraham, well, he, Abraham lied. It was spineless at times, right? He, he, he succumbed to temptation. Noah, well, Noah was a drunkard, and he succumbed to temptation, right? David, well, David was an adulterer and a murderer. David succumbed to temptation, right? Satan has defeated every human being who have ever lived. Satan went, um, has, has been running rampant throughout humanity's history. Satan even one against Adam in the most favorable circumstances. When did Adam fall? He fell in the Garden of Eden. Think about the Garden of Eden, and let's compare it to our life. How many of you have to deal with the world and worldly influences? Adam didn't have any of that. How many of you had to deal, have had to deal with um, like man-made religions coming to your door and trying to convince you that their religion was true? All of us have had to deal with that. Adam didn't have to do with that. He knew God face to face. He was in the garden. 
everything was perfect. Satan tempted him, and then Satan won. Right? Satan was dominant. It's kind of like when I play LD at basketball. I just always win. I destroy him every time without fail. Um, so Satan has won every battle, right? Um, so in the other corner, we have Jesus. We have Jesus, who, as we've discussed, was approved of by the Father and was led by the Spirit. Now, I, I want you to think about your history with temptation. Uh, I want you to think about um, your um, decisions to succumb to temptation over and over and over again. Um, all of us will fail. All of us will fall. But thank God that Jesus didn't fail and Jesus never falls, right? Um, so before we, we get into like the, the specific temptations, I want to give a some further context. Now, what God is doing here in this story and through Luke's words is he's making a parallel. Um, he's making a parallel between um, the, the obedient servant Jesus, but who always obeys, and the disobedient people of God who are fickle and wayward. Now, what makes me think that? Well, if you notice that Jesus quotes three different verses from the Old Testament, all of from um, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, is, chapter six through um, 8, right? So in this section of Scripture of Deuteronomy, um, Moses details the ways in which the people of God rebelled against him. Um, the people of God rebelled against him by doubting God's goodness. How many of you remember when they, they get over, God rescues them from Egypt, Right? He parts the Red Sea, they get on the other side, and what happens? They immediately start doubting the goodness of God. They say, God, you have brought us out of the Egypt, out of Egypt to kill us. Right? Um, uh, Moses details for us um, the people of God's pursuit of other gods. What did they do? They built a golden calf. And also tells us how they tested God. Right? Now, all of this represents failure on their part to trust God, right? Because they do not trust God, they doubt that he is good. Because they do not trust God, they pursue other gods. Because they do not trust God, they are always trying to manipulate him into doing his will. That's what it means to test God. Now, when we read the story of Jesus' temptation, we see Jesus facing all of these temptations and defeating them through the Word of God. Now today, I, I want to look at these three temptations, and I want to make some parallels about how those temptations face us every day. And then in the end, I want to give us kind of three keys to fight temptation. Does it make sense? So every day, Satan tries to get us to doubt the goodness of God. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. It says, And the devil, and the devil said unto him, if thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it may be bread. And Jesus answered, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now, some people think um, that Satan is trying to convince Jesus that he was not the Son of God, right? Um, so he's asking God, Are you really the Son of God? He's asking Jesus, Are you really the Son of God? Are you sure you're the Son of God? But I don't think that that's what's happening here, because we, we've noticed 
from our study that Jesus has understood who he was from a very young age, right? At least from the age of 12, probably earlier, right? He says to Mary, I must be about my father's business. Jesus recognized his divine um, origin, right? So what Satan is trying to do here, he's not trying to convince Jesus that he's not the son of God. What Satan is trying to convince Jesus to do is Satan is trying to convince Jesus not to go to the cross. Um, So what Satan is saying here is God has led you here, but why isn't he taking care of you? Now, it was important for Jesus to model uh, for us what it's like to truly follow God, right? He's our example, right? All of us are not supposed to follow the example of um, me. Why? Because sometimes I'm a bad example, right? All of us are not supposed to follow the example of Miss Florine. Although Miss Florine is a nice lady, sometimes Miss Florine sins, right? I get like, you won't believe what she's up to, by the way. Come up to me afterwards, and I'll give you... No, I'm kidding. Um, we're meant to follow the example of Jesus. Jesus models for us what it's truly like to follow God. And Satan, while Jesus is following God, he comes up to him and he says, why isn't God taking care of you? Now, again, it's important for Jesus to model for us what it's like to truly follow God. This meant that when he came to the earth, he had to willingly choose not to act on his own initiative, but rather he had to submit himself completely to the will of the Father. He says in John chapter 8, verse 29, he says, He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. You see, Jesus obeyed the Father perfectly. And in the midst of this obedience, he found himself in some discomfort. How many of you have been there? You're doing what you think is right. right? You're going where you think God is leading you. And all of a sudden, things start to go sideways. All of a sudden, trials start to happen. Tribulations start to come. And what does Satan do? He comes to you and he says, well, where's God at? Satan comes to Jesus and he says, well, why isn't God taking care of you? Why isn't the Father serving you and helping you? You're serving him. Why did he lead you into this situation? You see, the children of Israel found themselves in a similar situation in the wilderness, didn't they? Right? God them led them, God led them out of the, the land of Egypt, out of slavery. And once they get into the wilderness, what do they start doing? It starts to get uncomfortable. And then what do they do? They start to doubt that God is good. Right? They accuse God of rescuing them from slavery in order to try to kill them in the wilderness. What happened? They believed the lie that God is not good. Now notice how Jesus answers. He says, in verse 3 and 4, he says, And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this day that the bread, that the stone be made the bread. And Jesus answered and said unto him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. 
You see, there is more to life than the physical. One of the ways that, that Satan gets us to doubt God's goodness is by trying to get us to forget that we are more than our physical bodies. What he'll do to you is he'll point out the fact that you're uncomfortable. He'll say, look, God has allowed you to get sick. Why would he do that? They'll say, God has allowed you to lose your job. Why would he do that? They'll say, he has called, they'll say, God has called you to do something, and now everything is difficult and uncomfortable. Why would he do that? He's abandoned you. You see, in doing this, Satan's hope is to get you to forget about that there is more to life than what we can see and touch. So in essence, what, what Jesus does here is he points out the fact that we are more than our physical bodies. This means that we have to be concerned with the things that go beyond the physical, don't we? You see, if you don't ever find yourself in a situation where things are difficult, then you won't ever know how good God is. And even when things go well, how many of you have ever been in a situation where things are going well? You're doing well financially. Your family is doing well. But you sense that something else is missing, right? What is that? You're away from God, and you know that you're away from God. Satan wants to come into all of our lives and say to us, God is not good. Do something on your own. God is not good. Don't follow his plan. Follow the plan of least resistance. So the first thing that Satan tempts Jesus to do is to what? Don't go to the cross. Make your life comfortable. What is he tempting you to do? Don't follow Jesus. Pursue your own comfort. You see, it's a difficult path to follow Jesus at times, isn't it? Right, what's the song say? It's like many dangerous toils and snares. Right? And if you're not going through a trial, chances are a trial is headed your way. And when you stand up for Jesus and you say, I believe in Jesus, all of the world is against you, aren't they? It'd be so easy just to say, you know what, I'm just going to go along and get along or get along. I'm going to start, I'm going to stop following Jesus, and I'm just going to follow the world. The second thing that uh, the Satan tries to tempt God, um, Satan tries to tempt Jesus with, is to pursue other gods. Notice verses 5 through 8, he says, And the devil, taking him up into the high mountain, showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, to whosoever I will give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all of this shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So Satan takes Jesus up to a high vantage point and shows him all of the kingdoms of the world. And he says, If you bow to me, all of this will be yours. Now, this temptation 
is about seizing power apart from God's power and provision. Again, Jesus knew who he was, which meant he knew that one day every knee would bow and every tongue would confess, right? So what Satan is trying to do is he's saying, look, I know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. But in order for that to happen, you have to die on the cross. Here's a shortcut. Follow me and you don't have to go to the cross to be exalted. Follow me. I will make you famous and the world will exalt you. You see, in the wilderness, people of God faced a similar temptation, didn't they? You see, the golden calf promised them pleasure with no sacrifice. Right now, Satan is making the same kind of offer to the American church. Right? He's offering us a crown without a cross. If we bow to him. One of the things that's troubling, that's been troubling over the past few years is to see church after church and pastor after pastor that you admire start to bend their knee to the culture, right? And start to bow to the world's idea of social justice and become social justice warrior pastors and woke pastors. What's happening? They're believing the lie of Satan that we can bend to the world and be exalted without following the path of the cross. You see, God has called us to be like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He went to the cross. Jesus didn't die in a freak jet skiing accident. Right? It's not like he had like a long weekend and went out. He was hanging out with his buddies, and then his jet ski ran into like a rock, and he died, and he drowned. No, the government came and arrested him and executed him. Jesus didn't die in a retirement home. He, he, the government came, and they arrested him, and they executed him. To stand with Christ means to stand against the world. To stand with Christ means, means to point out all of the idols in the world and to tear them down. One of the idols that our world is, is worshiping right now is the idol of sexuality, right? And how every, every buddy must, every, every man, woman, and child must bow to the idol of everybody's preferred sexuality. And if you don't, what do we do? We cast you out. And so what Satan has done to the American church is he said, hey, look, you can have influence to the world, but you have to bow to my idol. Notice Jesus' response where Satan, Jesus answered and said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. What does Jesus do? Jesus again quotes scripture. The point of this temptation is that Satan was trying to get in between Jesus and the Father. Right? And quoting Deuteronomy 6, 
Jesus is making the point that only God deserves worship. See, our allegiance as Christians is not to America. We're not an American church. Okay? We name the name of Jesus. We're a Christian church. Our allegiance as Christians is not to a political party. We're not Republicans. We're not Democrats. We name the name of Christ. Our allegiance is to Jesus, not our families. We follow Jesus. Because you see, the offer to bow to Satan once really isn't a one-time offer, isn't it? If you're going to bow to Satan, you have to do it every day. If, you, if we compromise in one area, you're going to have to compromise in all the areas. Right? And, and in compromising, what do we do? We find out that we become just like Lot. How many of you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Right? Lot was their friend. Lot thought he had influence on them, right? And over them. He thought that he could put, he could in a pinch get them to do the right thing. Right? Because he was one of them. But when push comes to shove and he says, Hey, brothers, don't do this thing. How did the people of Sodom and Gomorrah respond to him? They told him to get out of the way. You're not a ruler over us. Now the same, again, the same is true with the American church. If we bow in one area, we're going to have to bow in all the areas. And if we, if we, if we, if we kind of give up our authority as Christians and become like everybody else, then we have no influence over anyone and over anything. Why has the American church lost its influence on the culture? Because the American church is just like the culture. Why? Because we've bowed to another God. We all face the temptation to doubt that God is good every day, don't we? All I have to do is look at look at the news, read the newspaper. God is good. How do I know that God is good? He sent his son to die on the cross in my place. If God is not good, he wouldn't have done that, would he? We all face the temptation to pursue other gods, to bow to someone or something that is not Jesus. But we also face the temptation to Test God. Let's notice verses 9 through 13. It says, And he brought him to Jerusalem, and he set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and he said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from thence, for it is written, He shall give angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus answering and said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from hence for a season. Now here's Satan, Jesus. Satan invites Jesus to test God, right? He says to Jesus, go and throw yourself down the temple stairs. 
and prove to everyone who you are. You see, what was Satan's plan all along to keep Jesus from going to the cross? What was God, what was the Father's plan? To send Jesus to the cross. To do what? To die in our place. How was Satan trying to get Jesus to go to the cross? He was saying, hey, look, instead of being exalted by the cross again, perform fancy tricks and signs. Make a spectacle of yourself. Again, the American church faces the same temptation, don't we? Instead of every week basically opening up the Bible and examining God's word and preaching God's word, what do we do? Every week we put on a rock and worship roadshow thing, right? Every week we have lasers, right? Um, every week we have like some type of weird spectacle. I, I remember seeing on TV like at one time, like the pastor um, at the beginning of the sermon is on a zip line. And it comes down from the back of the auditorium, although that sounds pretty cool. Uh, maybe we can do that. I don't know. If we have the budget. I guess, I guess there's nothing necess necessarily wrong with that as long as you preach the Bible. Right? There's nothing wrong with the, the rock and praise band as long as you preach the Bible. Right? There's nothing wrong with all of the modern ways of doing church and doing worship as long as you preach the Bible. But what a lot of churches have done is they bought into the idea, hey, let's make a spectacle, and they left out the preaching of the Bible. So what Satan is doing here is he's offering another shortcut. Satan is offering Jesus a crown without a cross. All Jesus had to do was to bow his knee. All he had to do was bow his knee. So he's also offering, hey, like, so go to the cross, make a spectacle of yourself. Now notice how Jesus answered. He says unto him, it is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. In other words, we are not to test God. Here's, here's what I mean by that. Um, Brother David and I were talking to a, a lady, and she said that uh, uh, what she did is like, I just, God, I want to know that you answer prayers. Right? And so that I know that you answer prayers, what I'll do is I'll get two um, jars of rice, of cooked rice, right? Um, the one um, jar of rice, she would just talk pleasantly over it, speak positively and speak the word of God to it. And the other jar of rice, she would just speak curses on it and speak negatively to it. And she says, I want to know that you're good, and this is the way I'm going to find out that you're good. What is she doing? She's testing God. In other words, she's saying, God, I need something more than your word. Right? I need something more than the promises that you have given me. Remember when the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they demand a sign? What is Jesus' response? I'm not going to give you a sign. A rebellious generation seeks for a sign. You see, what, what the prosperity gospel is, I know I'm always talking about the prosperity gospel, but what the prosperity gospel is, it, what it really is, is it's us testing God. 
God, I'll give you this money just to see if you'll give me something. All of us face the temptation every day not to trust the Word of God. So the question is, how do we deal with this temptation? Temptation comes, right? How many of you are tempted on, it, on an everyday basis? We're tempted to doubt God's goodness, right? We're tempted to, to, to pursue other things that aren't God. We're tempted to try and test God and manipulate God, right? How do we face and how do we fight this temptation? Number one, we need to not believe the lie. The first key to defeating temptation is to be able to tell the difference between the lie and the truth. So I want to talk about two kinds of lies, right? I want to talk about like a falsehood, and I want to talk about an exaggeration. A falsehood is, right, uh, we can find a falsehood is like um, an outright um, stating of facts that are not true, right? And the first temptation, what is Satan saying? He's saying God is not good, which is what? It's not true. That's a lie. How do I know it's a lie? Because I have the promise of God. Jesus died on the cross in my place. But another kind of lie is exaggeration, right? Exaggeration, which has some truth in it. However, it overstates the benefits and the abilities, right? So what, one of the ways that Satan draws us away from God is he exaggerates what he can give you. How many of you have ever talked to a used car salesman who exaggerated what he could give you? How many of you have ever um, been on the phone, you get a phone call, and it's some random salesperson, and they exaggerate what they can give you? Right? Satan, right, he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I can make you king of the world. Now, it is true that Satan has some influence over the world and world governments. But what is not true is that Satan has ultimate power in the world. Why? The Bible says the heart of the king is in the hand of God. And he turns it whatever way he wants to go. The Bible says that the boundaries of each nation are put there by God. What is Satan doing in that transition? He's exaggerating his ability to come through. See, all temptation is, is Satan exaggerating about what he can give you. Isn't that what the temptation of pornography is? It's, it's saying, hey, look, here is this thing that will fulfill your desire for intimacy. But once it's over, well, you're left feeling dirty and, and unclean. Isn't, isn't that um, what Satan comes to us when he tries to tempt us into consumerism? How many of you have ever uh, kind of felt bad about yourself and said, well, you, you know what I'll do? I'll go shopping. I'm feeling pretty down. I'm, pretty, I'm feeling pretty low. You know what will make me happy? A new dress, some new shoes, a new gun, a new fishing rod. I'm just going to keep going until I get everybody's thing. 
a new truck, right? A new video game, a new whatever it is that you guys are into. I don't know what girls are into, teenage girls are into. Whatever you're into, that. But here's the thing. Only God can fill that God-sized hole in your heart and in your life. Why is it that we pursue things that are outside of God? Well, we believe the lie. Satan has exaggerated to us the benefits that the world has to offer. Now, by the way, the world has a lot of things to offer. We can have some fun, right? If I said to you guys, hey, I won the lottery. I don't play the lottery, but let's say that by chance I won the lottery. I just won $100 million as a gift. I'm taking the entire church to Hawaii. Everything's on me. Right? How many of you right now are praying for me to win the lottery right now? <laughs> we would go there, and guess what we would have? We would have a lot of fun. Right? Um, like, there were no, the diets wouldn't exist, right? We've already abandoned the New Year's diet, right? We have steak every day, right? We'd eat at the best restaurants. Um, we'd stay at the best hotels, and we would have a lot of fun. We'd shop at the best stores, and we would have a lot. Here's the thing. Money can buy fun, and the world can offer fun, but the world can't offer happiness. What Satan is doing, he's saying, he's saying, look at all the control I have. Now, don't get me wrong. Satan has some control, right? But Satan always exaggerates the amount of control and the amount of power, right? How do I know? Well, we go to the book, don't we? There's a saying Colossians. It says that Jesus on the cross made an open show of Satan. In other words, Jesus didn't just squeak out of victory. Jesus won by a million. How do we know? Well, look around you. How do we, Satan is not in control of the world. How do we know? Look around you. If Satan were in charge of the world, do you think that he would allow a place like this to exist? It's where every week we get up, we open up the Bible, and we expose his lies. Look, look, look around the world. Around the world, Every moment of every day, people are turning their lives to Jesus. I know we watch the news and we see the negative things, but we forget about there are positive things that are happening. The gospel has spread to lands that have never heard of Jesus before. And those people are accepting Jesus. So how do we fight temptation? We need to know, don't believe the lie. Don't believe the out out. The, 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 the outright falsehood that God is not good. Don't believe the exaggerations that Satan offers us about the good life that he has for us. Number two, not only do we need to not believe the lie, we also need to know the truth. One of the ways that we see that, Je that Jesus defeated the lies of Satan was by knowing what the Bible said. We see three temptations. What do we see? We see three passages of Scripture. 
Do you know the Bible? Is the Bible a part of your life? Um, one of the ways and one of the reasons why we fall into temptation is because we have a disconnect between us and God's word. The third thing I want to mention is in temptation, what do we do? We run to Jesus. We run to Jesus in two respects. Why? Because the Bible says that he will give us rest. Right? He will give us strength. God provides for us strength in our temptation. But we also run to Jesus in another respect. Is that when we fail, he's there to pick us back up. Aren't you glad um, that you're part of the family of God? Remember last week, I made several points about being part of the family of God. I made the point that the family of God is for everyone, right? Right? It's for the liars. Why Jacob the liar is part of the family of God. Right? It's for the thieves. What did Jacob do? He stole the birthright. He's part of the family of God. It's for the adulterers. David the adulterer was part of the family of God. But another good thing about being part of the family of God is once you're in the family of God, there's no being kicked out of the family of God. See, in temptation, we can run to God for strength, right? But also, if we fail, we can run to him for forgiveness. Because here's the thing. We have all fallen. There's only one man to have ever existed without sin, and that man is Jesus. And Jesus, he succeeds in every place and in everywhere that we fail. You see, one of the things that Satan will do to you is he'll come to you, and once you've fallen, he'll tempt you by saying, well, God is not good, and God is not loving. He's through with you. And in those times, what do we do? We, we go to Jesus and we point to Jesus and say, no, he has died on the cross for my sins. And he has promised never to leave me and no, never forsake me. How do I know that he's kept his promises? How do I know that he will keep his promises? He rose from the dead to prove that he is God. Our challenge as individuals and our challenge as a church is don't believe the lies. Don't believe the hype. But trust in Jesus. Please stand. I'll pray and then we'll have an invitation. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everything that you've done for us. I thank you for everything that you're going to do for us. I pray that you would bless this time that we have during the invitation to 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 come to you and to acknowledge our faults and failures and to seek your forgiveness. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. If God has spoken to your heart, please come.